Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest co-host, David Begin, is back. David, welcome to the show. Henry, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We're going to chat. David and I are going to share and chat our thoughts and opinions and experiences related to what we've kind of summarized here as the six common myths, the six common myths about starting a small business. So that's what we're going to focus on on this episode. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue to support my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowabusiness.com. So welcome back, Dave. Good to have you back on on this episode. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy uh, talking about the subjects that you and I talk about anyway. We just get to record them. That's right. That's right. And this this topic in particular was influenced by a, a blog post, I think it was, that you recently released on carwashos.com. Right. It was more specific to the car wash industry, which is, you know, you've been focusing on that with Car Wash OS. But I took that and kind of adapted it and added and, and made a list that's a bit more uh, in less industry specific, more cross industry is I think what we have here. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, but you know, the common the issues are common between all industries. And I think that'll be good for our listeners to hear. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into it then. Uh, then this is, this is not as always with these lists. It's, it's a, it's a great way to package things and it, it gets attention, but it's not meant to be an all-inclusive list. This is what I think are some of those top things. And therefore this list of six common myths that we find people often believe before they start their first small business. And we'll debunk or address some of these myths as, as we converse through them. Uh, number one, David, is that it's easy. <laughs> that seems like a like an obvious one, but I think that's one that people think, oh, that's that's an easy thing to do, especially if you've never done it before. Right. I think uh, you know, you look at books that are out there, like Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week, and we look at the success that Tim Ferriss has had, and we think, oh, well, we can only have to work four hours a week. Right. And I think in this whole, there's a whole you know industry built around hacking hacking things and where you can take shortcuts, like there's ways to engineer something so that you can take advantage of something else. And, um, you know, and that kind of tickles everybody's ears uh, when they're thinking about building a business or doing something, how can I shortcut my way through it? And I, I think in, in reality in life, there's just very few shortcuts. Agreed. You know, it, it certainly, it appeals to our that desire that we have to get rich quick. I think we've always been susceptible to that. You could argue that maybe more so now, but I think we as humans always kind of naturally look for shortcuts. And I think maybe people think that from the outside, they only see often the the successes or the glamorous part of it or the end result. And they don't maybe necessarily appreciate the effort that went into it. And specifically, the biggest word that I always come back to on this topic is sacrifices. How many sacrifices or how much are you willing to sacrifice? I think the, the two key questions are, what are you willing to sacrifice? And then are you willing to delay gratification? Yeah, I would definitely agree with both of those. And I think 
we talk about work-life balance so much in social media and the newspapers nowadays, since we're coming out of the COVID pandemic and everybody's trying to develop a work-life balance. And for the most part, I understand that. But when you're building your own business, I think there's times where you're not going to be balanced. I think you've got to be willing to you know, make adjustments and say, well, for the next three months, I'm not going to live a balanced life. I'm going to focus on these things. And it's going to, I'm going to do that to the detriment of these other things. And, and if you're, if you're willing to do that, and you understand what you're getting into, I think, I think it's actually not, not a terrible sacrifice, but you've, you've got to want it. You've got to want it and you've got to want it badly. Yeah, great, great perspective. And that's a great way to look at it as well. But you're right, you have to want it bad enough to refocus maybe then your energy and what's most important to you. And I have always found that the people who achieve big things, no matter what, in what field it might be, are willing to focus that time, make those sacrifices, delay gratification by working hard now for a payoff later and I think that's a big part of it because, you know, preparing for and launching a business is, can be, and in most cases is incredibly hard. There's a lot of obstacles, a lot of challenges. And so it requires a significant amount of effort, energy, persistence, dedication, and resourcefulness to get through those hard times. I always share with people that, you know, when I work for people as, as a coach who are looking to start a business the 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 thing that often happens is they quit once it gets hard and it gets hard pretty quickly beyond the initial excitement of the idea right yeah yeah and and it's 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 easy to do and i i can you know i can i've done it i don't know how many times this year with building my new business and think you know what i don't think i want to do this anymore <laughs> i'm just <laughs> yeah. going to call i'm just going to call up my clients and say i don't want to do this anymore right and and the, the problem with me is I don't need to do it anymore. That's I mean, right. I've sold my businesses. We're fine from a financial standpoint. And sometimes, you know, not having that hunger of, gosh, I got to make payroll or I've got to figure out how we're going to pay our mortgage this month. There, there is a driver to that that keeps people going when things get hard. But it's, it's really interesting when you don't have those drivers, what is really making you do this and, and. I don't, I don't know which one's better to be honest. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not, it's nice. I don't have to worry about it because I can grow it the way I want to grow it. I'm not having to make bad decisions by partnering with people who are not good clients. I get to pick and choose who I work with. I get to pick and choose who I hire and I don't need the, the income, but sometimes having that, that drive of, you know, my credit card is maxed out will get you focused. Yeah. Or, or I, I can't stand my job. I don't want a boss anymore. Those kind of drivers aren't there for you. So it points to that each of us, depending on the path that we're at or where we are in our stage in life, need to find our why, what is our motivation then for getting through the hard time and making the sacrifices to build the business. Now, the other thing, I think there's a misconception in this, in this area related to it's easy, David, is that Everybody's looking for that passive investment kind of business, that yeah. that absentee owner kind of business. And I'm not saying they don't exist, right? Yeah. But by and large, the typical small businesses that we're talking about and that we've started, at least in the beginning phases, certainly in the planning and in the launch and, and startup phase, require a lot of our attention. Absolutely. Because you got to create the processes and procedures. You got to do the training. You've got to be focused on the reinforcement of the training to make sure that, you know, you're developing or establishing the culture. And, 
I, when I hear the term passive investment, I just, you know, a passive <laughs> investment is going to your financial planner and buying some Apple stock. That's a right. passive investment. Right. Or, or I have funds where I put money into and I'm actually passive, right? That's, yeah. that's a different thing. It usually falls in that investment bucket. Yeah. And there really is no passive business. I don't know of any passive in business that you can be the active owner and be involved in. If you want to be an investor in a business, that's fine. But I, I get frustrated when people tell me, especially in the car wash industry. So everybody right now wants to invest in storage units and car washes because the belief system is it's not a lot of work right. and it's a passive investment. But there are very few, if any, passive investments. And if I'm investing my money that I control, it, it why why on earth would you consider that to be a passive investment? Even though it might actually be, why would you consider something to be a passive investment? Yeah. No, agreed. I, I think that that's a luxury that maybe if you get to the point where you're a venture capitalist or you're, you know, an angel investor, then maybe you can look at it that way. Then that's just one investment in your portfolio that you're making. But for those of us who are starting small businesses, I agree. I haven't found a passive investment model. If you disagree with us listening, if you disagree with us, put us a comment in the show notes page. All of yeah. the show notes pages for my episode have the ability to comment. We'd love to get your thoughts, or if you have a, a different or opinion experience, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you by sharing a comment on the show notes page. Yeah. If, 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 you're, inve if you're investing, if you're investing in an investment, then yeah, it can be passive. But if you're running a business or starting a business, it, you, you're investing money, but, but you're, you're the person in charge of the business. It's not passive. There's, I just, and I'd love for somebody to argue with me on that. I'd love to see it. But I think what most people want to do is they want to move more toward what we call a self-managing company. Right. And this is a concept that Dan Sullivan taught me for years and years and years is how do you develop a self-managing company. And I think that should be somebody's eventual goal. Absolutely. If you're going to start a business is how do you develop the processes and procedures so that if you want to take two or three weeks off, you can do so. And the business still continues to run and flourish. Yeah. That should be the goal. Yeah, and is that is very achievable. That can be achieved. Right. It's yeah. not easy to achieve, but it can be achieved. Yeah. And you've got to build the business from scratch. You know, if you build the business with that self-managing company concept in mind, you'll approach things much different. I think what a lot of people do is they'll build a small business and then they get sucked in and they become, you know, they basically have built themselves a job and they've got to be there, you know, every day they've got to be billing. If the business, you know, if they're not there for a week, the business doesn't function. Yeah. I think that one of the ways that you might be able to accelerate getting to that point is considering a franchise. But even right. with a franchise, in my experience, I've owned franchises. I'm part of a franchise currently. In that initial phase, in fact, uh, more and more franchises I'm finding are requiring the owner to be involved either fully or to some extent. Not all franchises, so there are exceptions. But that could be a business model then to explore if you, in fact, feel like you you that is your number one objective is to get to somewhat passive as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that the systems are all set up for you. So you don't have to do the hard work of That's right. deciding what to do, documenting what to do. All you've got to do is train your people and reinforce the training to, to the program. Yeah. Learn and execute. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right. 
I just recently released episode 440, and the title of that episode is Small Business Readiness Assessment. And what I do in that episode is I walk you through an assessment that I've put together to help you determine how ready, willing, and able you are to start your first business. And it speaks to a lot of these points that we've just discussed about emotionally, mentally, what, what sacrifices are you ready to make and are you able to make? And so I encourage you to listen to that episode if you feel you need more, more input on this or more thinking, or if you think you want to walk through the assessment and see where you think you are. All right, so that's number one. It's easy. That's the myth that we just addressed there. Number two, all I need is a good idea that I'm passionate about and I'm good to go. Yeah. That's another, another one of those <laughs> It's a things. big one, right? That's probably <laughs> one of the top questions that I'm sure you and I get as people oh. come to us as supposed experienced business owners and they say, I've got this idea. What do you think? You know, yeah. and what I have learned to say, David, is I have no clue. All I can help you with is think through it. I can help you to ask some critical questions. I can help you with the planning and the forecasting. But at the end of the day, nobody has a crystal ball as to whether your business will succeed or not. Yeah. But but yeah, here's the key. There is a difference between an idea and the business model that has the potential to make that idea profitable. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked about this a number of times, but there's a lot of great ideas out there, but they don't necessarily make great businesses or that person doesn't necessarily have the ability to execute on it. So I, I think ideas are great. And I think if you're going to think about going in a small business, you need to be coming up with three to five ideas each day and make it part of your process when you start thinking about what would make a great small business. Cause it, cause you know, you can, you can either replicate what somebody's already done, which is fine. I mean, that's, that's what a lot of people do. That's what we did when we built the car washes. We didn't invent the exterior express model. We just copied it. Right. And so that's okay to do that. But if you've got a business idea you think is unique, then, you know, you've got to, you got to exercise your mind to think about different ideas, you know, gaps in the market um, could be things such as, you know, asking yourself, what, what bugs me every day during my day that I'd love to have somebody solve? It could, could, could be exercises like that. So, but again, there's going to be, you're going to come up with probably 500 ideas that might seem good. And only one is one that you could really want to, or should execute on. Yeah, agreed. You know, you and I broke this down in our fourth episode of the podcast. I've re-released it since. So search for episode R4 on ideation. You and I broke down to different types of ideas. But yeah, to your point, sure, there are examples. Some of you might have a new invention that you've come up with. And so that in itself has value. But but in my opinion, and I've asked this question of various of my guests on the show relatively speaking, the idea is the easy part. It's mm -hmm. the business model that underlies it and executing on bringing that idea to market and see if people are willing to pay for it. That's really where the rubber meets the road onto whether you have a business here beyond just an idea. Right, right. And, and I think you're correct in that most people think they're entrepreneurs if they're coming up with ideas. Mm -hmm. And yep. that's just, that's just step you know, one of 622 steps you've got to go through to create something successful. But, and I, I'm not undermining ideas, but I see people stop at the idea level and then they really don't execute on it or, you know, they go get advice and it's not a great idea. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and they do it anyway, which, which I guess is fine, but, um, but we fall in love with their ideas. Don't we? we yeah. It's hard yeah. for us to let go of our ideas. Cause we just think, Oh my gosh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And what you and, have to do is maybe it is, but you just have to try to validate it through a process that certainly I can help you with and others can help you with of learning and applying some kind of a regimen to, to hopefully validate and maybe even test that there is in fact a market for this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we're telling our up and coming generation that if you're passionate about something, right. then you need to chase your passion. And I don't always agree with that. I, I think, I, I think passion tends to be a lot more emotional than it is rational. And I think it, it's, it's important to be interested in something, but passion will only get you so far. I agree. I agree. I think you have to be passionate about business, about serving your clients, about developing a profitable business model around it. But I agree. This has been, I talk about this often on the, on the show, as you know, David, because I agree with you. I think that people have gotten a mixed message about what others are saying, not that they're wrong. I think we're misinterpreting it, that it's not enough to be passionate about an idea. You know, dare I say that maybe it's somewhat similar to because I love someone, is that enough to get married? You know, maybe, maybe not, right? Because yeah. there are other things that we got to make sure we're compatible on and that we can live together with that go beyond love. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I bring that analogy because I think similarly, we fall in love with our idea. And then that keeps us maybe from doing the hard work of really going through the rigor of hopefully modeling and, and potentially early on validating that we've got something that can be profitable. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted a dog here recently. And so my wife and I go back and forth on, do we get a dog or not? And she had a, she had a statement that finally shut me up. She said, you don't want a dog. You're, you're in love with the idea of having a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, I, I can't argue with that. Can't you're exactly right. Be because I think all oh, the dog will be laying next to me while I'm working and then it'll hop in the truck with me and we'll go, <laughs> we'll go throw the ball in the field and I'll, and, and then I'll think about getting up at five in the morning and letting them out right. and, or having to arrange for, for a dog care when yeah. you're traveling, which of course she has to deal with. Yeah. It. Yeah. So she's exactly right. I'm in love with the idea of having a dog. And so now I freely admit that. And I tell everybody I'm in love with the idea of having a dog. And I think a lot of people are in love with the idea of having a small business and that's where they're, that's what they become passionate about because they're seeing themselves at the end, you know, at the end result of five years of hard work where, you know, they've got a staff of 20 people and it's happy hour on Friday afternoon and they've got free beer flowing in the office and all, all the fun things about, you know, being quote unquote, being my own boss, but right. sometimes being like, and you've heard the term, you know, if, if you're, if you're your own boss, then you might have a fool as a boss or, there's a saying like that, that, right? You know, some sometimes your worst enemy is that you're you're the boss. So, yeah. you know, are you in love with the idea of owning a business, or do you, you? I think you have to be interested in the topic. So, I think so. Yeah. If I'm not interested in plants, if I'm buying a landscaping business and I'm not interested in plants, you know, and how things grow, I think it's going to be challenging to some extent. I have to at least have somewhat of an interest. But I agree with you that our passion or our interest is how do you run a small business successfully? And we've, we've done it in a lot of different industries. 
And I think that's what's, you know, that's, that's what we're interested in. Yeah. What that allows us to do is not get too married to an idea. It allows us to honestly say, you know what, I need to abandon or put that idea aside from now for now. Right. And, and figure out something else. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause to this episode to let you know that one of our sponsors and one of my favorite podcast shows, Stroke of Genius, is back for another great season. If you've ever had a great idea or brainstormed a way to make something better, Stroke of Genius is the podcast for you. Brought to you by IPO Education Foundation, Stroke of Genius identifies misconceptions about intellectual property to show the importance of IP to business and the economy. In season five, host and entrepreneur Raha Francis tackles questions about how patents incentivize investment in R&D, the right of musicians to sample music, the role of IP in promoting technology, sustainability, and more. Hear entrepreneurs, artists, scientists, inventors, lawyers, and other industry leaders get to the heart of what intellectual property protection means to them and why it matters. Get more information on Stroke of Genius at ipoef.org. And don't forget to subscribe and rate Stroke of Genius on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. So I mentioned episode R4, the ideation that David and I did, gosh, what, six years ago now, but I've re-released that episode. And then a couple of other episodes on ideation. Uh, I loved my conversation with Mike Stemple in episode 131 on ideation. He's a brilliant guy and had some really good insights on the whole process of coming up with ideas, which is referred to as ideation. And then recently, episode 394, I had Norman Crowley on. He's a highly successful serial entrepreneur based, uh, I think, in the UK. I can't remember exactly. And he talks about business ideas. And I asked him as well about this, this concept of, is it, is it the idea or the execution, and he agreed that that it's more so about the execution than the idea. All right, so that's number two. Number one was, is it easy? Number two, all I need is a good idea that I'm passionate about. Number three is a tricky one, and that is that it requires lots of money to start a business. Yeah, and most businesses nowadays don't. And so there are a lot of people out there that have written books or have blogs or podcasts about how do you build a business? How do you bootstrap the business so that it doesn't require a lot of money to get started? And, and I think I've come to realize, and this was told to me, but it took me a while to sink in that sometimes you make better decisions if you don't have a bank full of uh, bank account full of cash to spend. Right. And so there, I think there's truth to that. I think that when you have a tight budget, and even if you have the resources, use that exercise of saying, you know, this is what I'm allocating here. And it'll keep you from making some of those stupid mistakes that we make sometimes, like buying everything new, and I've got to have the latest laptop, and all the furniture needs to be new if you're, we're talking about a physical space, or I'm going to overspend on this, or I'm going to hire more people than I need right now. Those are luxuries that then kill us sometimes from a cash flow perspective, especially in that startup phase in the business. I do think you have to spend some money to get the right help, like from a CPA, from an attorney, perhaps from a coach, but those critical advice components on, you know, legal entity and drafting a partnership agreement. If I'm going to be in partnership, you do need a little bit of money for that, 
but that's not a lot of money. It doesn't cost that much money to create the entity. And then I love, and I have, there's rare exception where you can't use an MVP or a lean startup approach, David. The car wash industry might be one of those examples, right? I, I, I can't do a pop-up of a car wash, right? Right. Uh, maybe I can maybe start with car detailing, but really it's two separate businesses. So that's an example where if I'm going to open a car wash, especially an exterior express wash, I'm, I got to do it full blown, right? Yeah. Most, most businesses are not capital intensive, like car washing is. Right. So. Right. Which yeah. is another misunderstanding about that business, right? It, it, the, the capital required all right. people focuses what they've heard about what the returns can possibly be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a pretty big bet nowadays. Yeah. But otherwise, most businesses and the, the easiest example, but I have this example. My, I'm helping my daughter eventually, which she would like us to have her own vintage clothing, physical retail location, but she's starting online. She's starting with pop-up shops. So that approach can apply to a lot of different businesses, especially in the business to consumer segment of, of right. businesses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. It doesn't take a lot of money. And the, and the nice thing about not having a lot of money is it makes you a lot more creative about how you solve these. Problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? And we we've all heard of the, 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 you know, the, the startup companies that have venture capital money that flow through tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars and end up with nothing because they just figured it, well, if I just spend this money, they're going to give me more. And, That's right. And somehow spending money is going to solve all these problems. Exactly. And, and, and it facilitates that. And speaking of that environment, an environment where it's not about getting to profitability. It's about, you know, membership numbers or subscriptions or whatever it is. And I get it. That's a different business model. In a lot of cases, they're mm -hmm. looking for a different exit than most of us as small business owners are looking for. So right. we've got to be careful with thinking the way that they think in the way of a high tech startup, for example. Yeah. Or there's a lot of institutional money out there that is focused on growth or not focused on profitability. So exactly, you know, and they're, they're playing a completely different game than a game you and I could play. That's right. One last point on money that I, that I always bring up is to be careful to partner just for money. In other words, I've got a business. I'm going to start David. I'm going to bring you in as a partner but only because you've got money to bring in, not because I value the other components that you could bring to the business. If that's the case, I want to bring you in as an investor, not as a partner and be very careful with that. I think people that's make correct. a mistake there. I, I see people partnering with people uh, that they shouldn't be partnering with. Correct. And yeah. And then it becomes, it's worse than a marriage. And we've talked about that. It's, it's more difficult to get out of a business partnership than a marriage. It is. And so be careful why you know, ask why you're partnering. If it's like you said, if it's based on money, that's not a good enough reason. You can go to a bank and get money. Yeah. Or bring them in as an investor, but they don't have any say in the operations of the business. Yeah. Right. All right. Related to this topic of money, episode 407 of the How a Business, uh, the How a Business podcast entitled Funding Your Small Business. That's an episode I released recently on this whole topic of where do I find the money? So listen to episode 407, 407 if you want to learn more about this. Number four is you need to know everything and have a perfect business plan before you can launch. 
This is kind of the opposite end. I see two groups of people as it relates to this. The first group, which is, I'm not going to do any planning. I just believe so much in this idea. We're just going to move forward. And then there's the other side, which I tend to lean towards because I'm a very analytical person that I'm going to keep analyzing this and creating yet another spreadsheet and going to yet another workshop before I ever really have what I'm looking for, which is the confidence to take the leap. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you're right. There are two separate groups and there's very few people in the middle that are willing to create something and refine it along the way, but people use it as a point to procrastinate yeah. making the leap. And then people like me just kind of blow and go and have to, <laughs> has to be held back. Say, hey, 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 let's create a business model. Let's kind of get a financial projection in place. And so, that's why you, you look for that sometimes in partnerships, like in our partnerships. Right, right. You, you had a whole different skill set than I had. And I appreciated your attention to detail and your planning and the fact you would look at, you would look at certain things that I would gloss over. And I think that's what made our partnerships successful as we just brought different skill sets. I, I brought no skills. You brought a bunch of skills. <laughs> no, that's not true. What you, what you bring is the flip side of it is, you know, when to say, okay, enough analysis, you know, that there are no guarantees. And that at some point, if everything kind of checks out in your mind, you're ready to move forward. You talked about this a little bit in the, one of the previous episodes we did here recently about how you judge risk. And so I think that's what comes into your mind. You've done an assessment of the risk that you're taking here. And once you feel comfortable with that, you're ready to move forward usually. Right. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think I think I analyze a lot of things based on risk and I'm working with some clients right now that just kind of jump off and do things. And I want to get them to step back and, Hey, make sure you check this or check that. And it's hard for them or they either just don't do it or they don't listen, but I'm trying to communicate to them. If you're going to own a business, one, one big aspect of owning a business is managing your risk, you know, employee risk, um, customer risk, product risk. It's all about keeping those things in balance. Yeah. Now, make just to be clear on here, I do believe in putting together a business plan. I especially believe in putting together some level of financial projections. So I'm a big believer of that. What I'm arguing here is that at some point, you can do all of the analysis you want to, and then some, and you will never do enough analysis to get you that answer, which is, I wish I could call somebody. I always say, I wish I could call up an uncle and I would say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And he would tell me, oh, guaranteed, going to be a success. Move forward. It, it doesn't happen, right? It doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. And so I that's think, the thing. And I think that's why you always preach the MVP approach. Absolutely. Of, okay. So in that particular scenario, you would ask yourself, what's the least risk, risky alternative or risky path I can take at this point? So I minimize my cash flow, my cash burn. And I can test this concept. And I, right. I, I think that's what kind of gets people started because that business plan, I think if we looked at our business plan that we created for the car washes, oh, it gosh. turned out to be completely different than what we thought, but at least we had something to measure it against. That's right. That's right. Something to measure again. Yeah. yeah. A couple of episodes related to this 382 business plans. I cover business plans in detail there, including the lean canvas approach. That, that supports an MVP approach to a, a launch and then iterating. And then also episode 395, that's been one of the most popular episodes along with the download that comes with that, which is financial projections for small business startups. So those are two 
episodes that I recommend to learn more about this. Number five is timing is everything. Now, this is a big one in particular right now, David, because the question that has come to light again in light of the economic challenges is, is this the right time to start a business? So when somebody asks you about timing, what What's your guidance or thoughts typically? I say it's never a good time to start a business and it's always a good time to start a business. Agreed. <laughs> it's agreed. Just, which one do you want to believe? I remember when we opened our yogurt shops, we were interviewed by the newspaper, uh, the business editor of our local newspaper here. And he said, are you nervous about opening a business in this economy? And I, <laughs> I didn't even like, what, what, what economy? What, what are you talking about? Right. I, and I hadn't even considered it what he was saying. I didn't think the economy was, was a bad economy at all. I just, there, there's never a good time to open a business. If, if you don't want to open one, you'll find a thousand reasons not to do it. And the economy will be one of them. So if it's a good idea, it's always a good idea. If it's okay. not a good idea, it'll never be a good idea. Agreed. I, you know, you, you paraphrase, I think it was Dickens that wrote the best of times and the worst of times. It's always the best of times and the worst of times. I, I, I related to the stock market, trying to be, trying to time the stock market. Usually you fail at that. Now, there are some obvious things. You know, if you had told me, hey, I'm going to open a full service restaurant, and this was two years ago in the middle of COVID, I would say probably your timing isn't good right now. You may yeah. want to wait. Yeah. So yeah. there were some obvious things in certain industries or certain ideas when you might say, maybe now is not the time, right? After, and we might be going there now, but after the 2008 uh, mortgage crisis, a lot of mortgage brokers found themselves out of business, right? So right. yeah, there are some obvious timing things we have to consider. But then again, it's hard to predict those. Uh, the the Office Evolution franchise that I'm a minority partner in, that was a two year process. So we had no, we couldn't put on the brakes to open in June of 2020, in the height of the pandemic. We had we had no control over that, right? So yeah. we just had to adjust and make the best of it. I think that other than obvious timing issues, like I just highlighted, it, you never know. You you have to look, you have to hopefully have a business plan that's robust enough and have the ability to adjust going back to the MVP concept that you can adjust to whatever the reality is of whatever the economy does or doesn't do to you. Yeah. Most, most times those conversations on timing are people that are getting pretty high in the risk risk curve. Yes. They're trying to decide if they're going to pull the trigger or not. And they're looking for reasons not to and timing is one of those reasons that people come up with. And I, I think you do have to take a hard look and see if the timing, I don't want to be flipping about it. Correct. Like you, you have to, you have to look and see, are there conditions that are happening that might make it not as successful as you'd like it to be. But generally, most of the conversations I hear are people who are, they're not, they're not worried about, they're worried about the risk. And it's, it's really a conversation about risk. And they're feeling the risk uh, at this particular time. And they're looking, you know, and their spidey senses are up and they're, they're saying, oh, maybe the economy's not right or, or things along those lines. Yeah, no, great. Two great qualifiers are thanks for that, because I think it's important. We're not trying to be flippant about this. Of course, you have to do the analysis of what market you're going into and what's going on in that market, in that industry. What is the economy potentially going to do to that market? You have to be aware of those things. That's part of the research. There's no doubt. I right. think what we're trying to highlight 
is don't hide behind that. But then you also made a second point which I think is critical. I think the only time when I would say the timing isn't right is if for you personally, the risk you're about to take is disproportionate. If you're not ready financially, if you don't have the, the credit worthiness, those, or maybe you have health issues that you need to get past. Those are other reasons why I often then might advise to someone the timing isn't right for you. Right. Right. I would agree. I would agree. So look at it, but don't let that be an excuse. Agreed. Number six is I don't need help. And we've touched on this. And I, I was so guilty of this early in my business career, David, because of my arrogance, because of my macho attitude. I don't know any combination thereof. Certainly my dad was the classic type that he never asked for help, never went to the doctor. So I learned that from him. And so I thought that it would be embarrassing or a show of weakness if I reached out for help. That's that, you know, I'm embarrassed to say it, but that's the truth of it. I'm not saying that those of you listening are where I was, but we think, I think we often have a tendency to resist help, especially if, if not for those reasons, then I think as type A personalities, entrepreneur personality, we have that personality of, I can do this. I'll figure this out, right? Yeah. And maybe that's why we don't reach out for help sometimes. I don't know. It's interesting because with my consulting business, I'm talking to two different types of people. I'm talking mm -hmm. to the people that think they've got it figured out and they don't need help. And then I'm talking to people who come to me and say, you know, I was really successful in, the, in this line of business, but I don't understand anything about this industry. So we could, we could use some guidance and help. And I, and to me, it's like music to my ears to people that, that are willing to say that. I think getting help is more prevalent nowadays than it ever used to be. I, I think, think you're right. With, I think you're right. With coaching out there becoming a lot more prevalent, being online, people are more familiar with it, but I think good business people understand there's a risk that you're taking. And by getting good coaching, what you're doing is minimizing them. My, my job is to minimize my risk. And so how can I minimize my risk? Go get some people that have done it before, that have been successful, that can take a lot of the question marks away from it and help me. The, the way I try to, try to sell my, my services, I said, if you're going to open a business, a car wash, you've never done it before, you're going to make a thousand mistakes, right? Because you've never done it before. Let me eliminate 955 of those mistakes for you. Because I'm going to ask you the right questions, we're going to anticipate what needs to be done. And let's let's make a minimum of those mistakes. And, and that that appeals to a certain type of person. But, you know, there are people out there that just think they don't need help. But it's not you know, it's smart. I mean, it's smart to ask for help. Absolutely. And what we have learned, and you're right, you make a good point that, you know, perhaps there's no doubt that back in 1991, when I started my first business, this whole business coaching field or industry was, you know, essentially non-existent. Certainly there was a lot of self-help type uh, books and programs. So now it's much more accessible. It's much more common. What you and I have found and I have found is that people even with twice as much experience or success that I have used coaches and mentors uh, to help them either personally or in their business. So who am I to think that I'm beyond being able to get help from a coach or a mentor, even if it's just for a specific project or a specific chapter that I might be going through in a particular business? Yeah. If you look at any of the most successful athletes in the world, they all have coaches. Yeah, that's such you a know, great analogy. It's not because the coach is better than they are. Yeah but the coach has a perspective that they don't have and they see things 
that they can't see. I mean, um, basketball player LeBron James says he spends a million dollars on himself, right? Whether it's coaching or healthcare or whatever, you know, I mean, he makes much, much more than that, but he spends yeah. a ton of, ton but of he money. he looks at it as an investment in himself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with life coaching, that's another big industry that's really blowing up right now is people need to be able to call and talk to somebody and get a perspective. And it's certainly not a sign of weakness. I know there's still a lot of people that don't, don't see the benefits of those things, but I've, I've always, you know, like coaching. And, you know, I started with Dan Sullivan probably 12 or 13 years ago and got a lot of benefit out of him. And I hired specific coaches for our business and I've hired personal coaches and I'm a big believer in coaching because I just, I want to, I want to get better at what I'm doing and getting perspective is one way you do that. Yeah. Oh, agreed. And, and so go ahead. By, by the way, I've, I've hired a recent coach here for my is business. He, is he any good? I think he's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually hired Henry, I think a couple of weeks ago, because I've kind of hit a wall with my business and I don't really have a solid marketing plan. I hadn't really thought about goals for next year. <laughs> I'm just kind of winging it. So, but, but that's, it's very common. It's very common. Yeah. Right? yeah. So you're, you're going to help me uh, kind of get some things organized and get some clarity and figuring out our marketing plan, our marketing messages. And I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. I think so much what I what I tell my clients is that, you know, this this entrepreneurial thing can be a lonely pursuit. Yes. And so and and it's very valuable, even if you have partners, to get a third party, unemotionally attached opinion to listen to ideas, to help you ask the right questions, that can be very valuable to any business owner. Yeah. So, so. if if you're afraid of coaching, think about the Think about the best athletes in the world. They have coaches. Yep. That's a great analogy. All right. So on this topic, on this myth of I need help, we, we've touched on it. It's about understanding that everybody can benefit from help. And, and I, I broke it down into two groups, your primary team, which should include a coach or a mentor or both that can be different roles or maybe the same, a consultant that might make, come in to help you with a particular project. Uh, certainly in that startup phase, you, you probably are going to need an attorney and certainly an accountant. So those are people beyond the coach or mentor that we've talked about that you need as part of your team that you need to reach out for help to. Secondarily, depending on where you're at, you could be a banker, a commercial real estate broker, an insurance agent or broker. Certainly early on, depending on what you're doing, an architect, a contractor, and then that, that broader network of other business owners that you can reach out to. If you, when, if I ask you now, do you have people that you can reach out to just to bounce an idea off of someone you respect, who's also a business owner, maybe completely unrelated to your business? Do you have that network of owners? And I think that that's critical. You know, you mentioned strategic coach. One of the side benefits that you got from that is that network of other business owners that you guys have stayed in touch with to, to lean on each other and to ask each other for guidance and questions. Right. Right. Yeah. And I try to spend a little bit of my week calling people that are in my network just to yeah. visit with them, see how things are going, but also to maintain those contacts. So one thing that's incredibly important as you start your small business is develop what I call your, or as Dan Sullivan calls it your farm club. So who's uh, who are you calling on a regular basis from a network standpoint to keep up with, 
keep up with them personally, but also from a professional standpoint. Agreed. Now, last word on getting help is the qualifier I would add is to get it from the right people. Now, there's different types of help that we get, right? So for example, if I go to a family member and they're not a business owner, I might be going to them for more emotional support or help. And that's important. So, so do that. But be careful who you get business advice from. Because yes. uh, I've often coached people who are getting advice from people who have never done a business before. And therefore, while it might be well intended, it usually comes from a point of perspective of, oh my gosh, how could you possibly take that risk? So that's the last caveat I would add there. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think when you think about, think about when you and I went from the corporate world to the small business world or business ownership world, it was, I mean, when you and I were working for large corporations, we were thinking, oh, I could never own a small business. I don't know anything about it. Or it felt like it was some magical kingdom that was hid away that you and I didn't have access to. Right. And then when we walked through the door, it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. It's actually pretty cool. And maybe we should have been doing this all along and skip the whole corporate thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of perspectives, if you're getting perspective from somebody who's never done it before, you know, you're getting what they think it is versus what it might really be. So you got to be really careful with that. And, you know, I'm, I've had people give me opinions <laughs> all the time <laughs> that, you know, I, I listen, but, you know, I take it as feedback, but I'm not going to do anything about it because they don't have a perspective. Right, right. And, and, and for that reason, and maybe others, you may not trust or respect their opinion as it comes to business. So, so that's, that's the last point on that. So those are the six myths that I wanted to address, David, here in this conversation. I've given you also some links to other related episodes. I'll have all of those in the show notes page for this episode at the howabusiness.com. So be sure to to use that as a guide to going back into my catalog of previous episodes. So myths are something that we always encounter. This is just six of them. You know, David recently uh, in carwashos.com is where I would find that blog post that I was referring to, right? Yes, that's yeah. when you can find it. Here, there, he he's has a, a six myths that are more specific to that industry. So if you're interested in that, go take a look at that at carwashos.com. But there are other myths. Obviously, we could spend days talking about myths and misconceptions. The, the key is to, to, to be aware of these that we've highlighted, understand uh, what's real about them and what's not, uh, debunk them, read, do the research, learn, and, and then continue to move forward uh, smartly as you flesh out your business idea, your business model, and then get launched. Any final thoughts, David? No, I think... These are all good thoughts as you're thinking about creating a business. And uh, I really appreciate the fact, Henry, you put together all the resources that go along with it. So relating to other podcasts and the resources you're providing in the Howl of Business, I'm, I'm looking at what you're doing. I think what a great, what a great repository of not only content, but of resources I can use to kind of work on my business. Thank you. I appreciate that. What I find is that on a monthly basis, when I look at how many listeners uh, about half of the people are going back into the back catalog. So I'm fortunate to over time, with the help of people like you and my other guests, you know, 440 episodes now as of this recording, there's a lot of topics that we've covered there that are still uh, appropriate and valuable. We've concentrated on making it as uh, applicable 
over the long term and not as much topical. So I appreciate that feedback. Yeah. Thanks for joining me on this and for being a guest host again. I appreciate your time and the, uh, your contribution here. Thanks a bunch. Always a pleasure to be on and uh, wish you nothing but success as it moves forward. Agreed. And I wish you out there listening the best as you start and grow your successful and profitable small business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest host today again was David Begin, or he is, he hasn't passed yet. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of The How of Business. I release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find the show anywhere pretty much that you listen to podcasts or at the website. You can actually listen to the episode at the website at thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.